it. If you feel comfortable, you might like just to lift your hands. We're going to pray together. Father, we just thank you right now that your word is incredibly powerful. It not only becomes the, the foundation of who we are, but it directs our steps. And we just thank you for it. And right now we release your spirit to teach us and we release your grace to empower us. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn around and give someone a good high five this morning and then take a seat. Very good. Yeah, Sam said, I look forward to always preaching in the church that is my home and uh, traveled a lot this year. Enjoyed the month of May because I've only traveled up and down New Zealand. But uh, for the first two uh, four months of the year, that's up to the end of April, I was out of New Zealand 10 months out of 16. Uh, 10 weeks, get, get it right. Shows you I'm still jet lagged, no. Um, and uh, in that, I think I did 24 flights, of 12 of which were long haul flights. And so when I came to May, I thought, oh, I might be a little tired. Uh, but anyhow, we're in recovery mode now, so it's all good. But today, um, I, I really do have a, a word in line with the, the theme of uh, what's taking place in church at the moment, and it's the church I see. It's not the church Sam sees, the church I see, but it's the church that Jesus sees. And for us to really understand, we've really got to frame our understanding around the Word of God, because the Word of God really gives us a picture of what Christ sees for the church, and it's really important in our day to be able to anger our heart into that rather than into our own idealism or what we perceive or what we think. I have a little saying that's really held me right through my Christian journey, not just as a, as a preacher or a minister, but uh, even in my understanding of God, that I'm very conservative in what I believe. So my belief is very conservative, and it always has been, and I believe to the day I die it will be. But I want to be very contemporary in my expression. In the expression of what I believe, I want to be relevant to the day I live in. But you find a lot of Christianity today is trying to be very contemporary in its belief. It's trying to modernize its belief. It's trying to bring its belief into 2018. But it very, in its expression, it's actually very, very conservative, very boring. Because it's not adjusting to the day we live in by changing its expression, but it's trying to change its belief. It's trying to, in a way, modernize Christianity. But really, in the, in the end, the Word of God has lasted for 2,000 years, and it's shaped every generation that puts its trust in it. And it's been able to really transform nations, transform environments. If you go back into the 1500s, uh, you'll find out under Luther, the Reformation changed the whole of Europe, changed history, and still does to a degree. But where we get a contemporary belief is destroying the very fabric of what we stand on. So today I'm just going to talk about building on the rock. And the rock for me is Christ Jesus, but it's also having a, a real firm understanding of what you believe. Because if you have no firm understanding of what you believe, you'll be pulled around by every trend and every modern thinking. 
Jesus uh, said, and uh, it's interesting, uh, the statement he uh, spoke with Peter, and Peter had this revelation that he's the Christ, he's the son of the living God. Pretty profound in its day, because he was referring, you're the Messiah. And Helen and I had the joy of going to Israel last year, and I just have a couple of photos to go up, and uh, if they could go up on the screen. These are taken, this one here is taken where a temple was, it was an evil temple, and the next photo you'll see is really a hole in the rock, and there was a temple went right up to there, and that was a common place of human sacrifice. It was a place of where they worshipped an evil god, and this is exactly the place that history would tell you that Jesus made the statement. And Peter, they were in a conversation, and in the conversation, it basically was, was that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So he was standing there. As you see by the photo, there's no church there. So it's not on that rock. But what he was referring to was the gates of hell. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. What the devil will seek to sneer the church will not be able to prevail. It will not work against the church. But what he was referring to when he said, on, the, on this rock I'll build my church, on the spirit of revelation, on the spirit of the revelation of God's word, thou art the Christ, Peter perceived, he saw, thou art the Christ. He said, on that spirit of revelation, I'll build my church. And as you begin to comprehend and understand that, you will have something very firm. It will be like a rock in your life that will be able to be, be, be uh, able to stay consistent even though the forces and the pressures of life will try to, to, to turn it around. It will not happen. And then you get the teaching, which I, I really have enjoyed in my early Christian life, uh, uh, the story of the Sermon on the Mount, which is... Um, Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, if you're a young Christian, really encourage you to go through it, just go through it very carefully, because in a way it's, a, it's the most powerful expression of a sermon given by Jesus, and he goes through real areas of character, helping us to define what is right and what is wrong. If you go through, he starts off with what is known as the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. He goes through a whole lot of things. Then he comes to, and he, he touches interesting, interesting thoughts. He touches anger. He touches lust. He touches revenge. He touches the attitude of serving. He touches, he comes into the whole area of prayer. Don't be hypocritical in your praying. Be genuine in your heart. Then he comes to the area, he talks about needs. Don't, 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 don't just focus on your need but focus on God because he is the provider of your need. If he can look after the birds of the air, how much more can he look after you? And then you come into chapter seven, it talks about judgment. Don't look at the speck in others. And, and as Christians, so often we're so good at judging others, but don't look at the speck in others. Look at, look at what's in your own life. He then begins to talk about the narrow path. Don't just go with the trend, don't go with the flow. And a lot of Christians just go with the flow of society rather than he said, no, no, Christianity is like a narrow gate and you can only walk through this gate through your own choice. I can't even walk through it with Helen. It's my choice. I've got to make a decision. I, I've got to make a decision. 
but the white path is, oh no, we just go with the flow, and, and we don't want to stand out, we don't want to, we don't want to look different. Then he gives an actually an interesting challenge. He says, you know, some people will will uh, call, uh, uh, will cast out demons in my name, heal sick. He said, but when it comes to heaven, they won't be there. Won't even know them, because all as it was was a show. But really, in their heart, they weren't on the rock. They had something established, something genuine. And I'm about genuine Christianity. I believe the church God sees right now, the church Jesus sees, is a church that, that is very conservative in what it believes. The truth of God's word is very sure. It's not, it's not trying to be modern for modern sake. There's things that have been there for 6,000 years. And we're trying to change some of the things that God has established, but you can't change that. They're unchangeable truths. And what we've got to see in life is that Jesus goes on and he gives this parable of Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. And I'll just paraphrase it without having to read it. But he talks about, you know, watch how you build. Sand, he said, is a person who hears. And many of you sit in church every week, you hear the word of God. You hear the preaching of God's word. But he said, a foolish person hears it, but doesn't do anything about it. They're foolish. They, they don't really look at the Word of God, how that aligns to their life. In a way, they think, oh, no, no, I don't need to really worry about that. God's not really on my case. Well, God is. God is on your case. And it's foolish to deny the Word of God. And one thing history teaches us, a generation, a country, a people who deny the Word of God go down a very slippery slope. And ultimately, it destroys society. And we're on that slippery slope. In the West, we're on a slippery slope. We're sliding down. The fabric of society has been broken up, has been dismantled. All the things that have held society together, people are pushing out and saying, oh, no, no, it doesn't really matter. The common saying is, it feels good, do it. Oh, I don't trust my feelings. Amen? How many trust your feelings? (laughs) That means if I feel like stealing something, I can take it. Does that mean if I feel angry, I've got the right to be angry? You think about it. If it feels good, do it. Pretty, pretty slippery slip, uh, slope. Slip, slope. It's, pretty, it's not a good thing to go down. You've got to have something more than that. And then Jesus goes on and he talks about wisdom. He says, wisdom, if you really want to define wisdom, wisdom is more than just hearing. Wisdom is a person who hears the truth Here's the word of God, and they build their life on it. So therefore, there's something solid about them. There's something in them that that they've established that is not going to be pushed around by the storms of life. And there are storms of life. There's things trying to dismantle, trying to pull pull things away. But we just go, oh, no, you know, I feel, I feel. Well, Well, be careful with your feelings. Your feelings are very, very vulnerable. Your feelings are not a good gauge to live by. But really, sadly, society is more more governed by what it feels than having a positive rock of truth. Jesus, he's talking, not just me. I'm just trying to give you an understanding of what he said. If you want something solid in your life, you're not going to be pulled around. Come on, let the truth of God's word define you. In our children's church right now, Helen's so committed to getting kids with an understanding of the word of God. 
Because if they get an understanding of the word of God, they're not going to be pulled around by the issues of life. And we need to get that truth into our heart. That's the church Jesus sees. It's a church that understands truth, understands the word of God, builds on the word of God, and that word of God becomes something that defines them. And so really, in a way, I know we've preached uh, messages on this sort uh, some time ago. It might have been last year, but living inside out. Having an understanding that, you know, you've got, you've got a compass in your heart. You know, a compass will always give you a fair direction. Where's true north? Where, 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 what do you line up with? Or do you just go with the flow? What's your core? You know, I'm not a computer whiz, but, you know, a computer's got a core in it. What will stuff the computer up is a virus. The virus comes externally. But the core is what is inside. It's what keeps the computer true. What keeps yours and my life true is our core values. It's the decisions you make before you're put in an environment where your feelings can be pulled around. Young people, of course you'll have a chemistry when you get with the opposite sex. If you love that person, of course you would. It's natural. But you make a decision beforehand you have a core value that says, no, no, I'm not crossing this boundary. Why? Because I know a better relationship will be built on the truth of God's word than just being governed by what I feel right now. It will not build a good relationship. So in the modern, ter- modern world, just go to bed if you feel sexy. <laughs> no, I'm being honest, just go to bed. And then people go to bed And then they realize two months later, I don't like this person. That's why why the Bible has given boundaries. Because it says, get to know the person. And then you will enjoy the benefits. But if you just go, you're going to get robbed of the very thing that God wants to establish. There's principles in the word of God. They're not killjoys. They're there for our benefit. They're there for our good. They're there. And we've got to have inner decisions. You've got to make a decision beforehand. No, no. This is who I am. This is who I am. I'm not going to cheat on the government with my tax. I've got a core value. Truth. I've got a core value of being honest. It's who I am. I'm going to walk with integrity. That's who I am. That's who I am. I'm going to watch my eyes. That's who I am. That's who I am. I travel a lot. And one thing I I know I can say to Helen, she can trust me when I travel. I don't have a secret. I don't have another life. Do you hear me? I don't have another life. I've got a core value that says why I travel, I look after myself. Amen. I don't have a hidden closet. I'm not out there doing something that I've got anything to be ashamed of. I've got a core value. I've made that choice. I've made that decision. It's who I am. It's the truth of God's word in my heart. That's the church Jesus is. It's a church that acknowledges our personal vulnerability that we need as redemption. It's not law. And every now and again, people do slip over. But they have an inner core. They have an inner value. And if it feels right, it's not right. And we need to begin to establish some, uh, some parameters. I, um, another scripture is, which I won't go into too much, is Psalm 119, verse 105. The word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
And we need a generation, the church that Jesus sees right now as a church that's going to be temporary. I, I love equippers. We do. This, this church, the vibrancy, the life in it. But please, it's not another gig. It's not a gig you come into and dance and swing around on Sunday and then go out and live your life carelessly. Come on, if it's just that, we're out of, we're out of kilt. The church that Jesus says is contemporary, but it's also defined by the truth of God's word. It's letting the word of God get into our humanity so that it defines the areas that the enemy sought to break. And we all have those vulnerable areas. And it just says here in Psalm 32, verses 8 to 9, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. And, and please understand, I'm putting this scripture up for a reason. I will guide you with my eye. Now, I don't know what the eye of God looks like. I, if you've got a big eye in heaven, I don't know. But it says, I will instruct you with my eye. I, I think there's an application here. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like a horse or a mule. Good application. Which which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and a bridle, else it will not come near. Now, really, the application, what it's really saying is, oh, oh God, if you direct me out of this environment, I won't do it. Now, I'll illustrate. You're in a shop. Now, I'm not going to exaggerate. And you think, God, if you stop me, I won't steal that bit of clothing. <laughs> if you stop me, I'm like a horse right now. I'm like a, I, I've got a bit and a bridle in my mouth. And if you direct me out of this, I won't do it. But what God's saying is, he doesn't work like that. Come on, young people, listen to me. He's got his eye on you, which I think is actually more scary. <laughs> Doesn't matter where you are, God's eye is on you. And he's not governing you with a bit and a bridle. He's wanting you to have core values. He's wanting you to have convictions. He's wanting you to have resolved some things in your spirit so that you're not having to be pulled around. If it, if it feels good, no, no, he's not going to pull you out of it. Your feelings will take you into it, but he won't pull you out of it. But what he is looking for is for you to have some core values in your heart that says, no, no, I'm not going to stuff my marriage up. I'm not going to stuff my life up. I'm not going to stuff my business up. I'm not going to stuff it up. Because why? I've got core values and how I operate, how I build, the fundamental to who I am. If I slip and I fall over the steps of a good man ordered by the Lord, even though sometimes we might fall, he upholds us with his right hand. He's a forgiving God. He restores. He's not a legalistic beaver. But he wants you to have core values. He wants you to understand the truth of his word and your spirit so that you're not pulled around and challenged by the things that people are, are moving into which will change. Core values make decisions beforehand and that becomes a conviction of who they are. Sin to define it, and I'm not here to put a heavy on people, but sin, if you were to really look at it in its biblical definition, it's just simply missing the mark. It's not God, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hammer you, you sinner, you naughty boy. No, God, it's almost like, I, I can imagine every time I think of sin and I do something wrong, I think God, oh no. 
They're going to miss the best for what I have for their life. They're going to miss the best. It's almost like we, we deviate and there's a line on here. If I stay on this line, God's got, a, God's got a plan that he will bring me into his purpose, his best. Amen. And, and, and being older, I can testify to that. Every decision built around core values. I look at now and say I'm a more peaceful man. I'm a more fulfilled man. I'm more delighted in the, in the God I worship. There's something in my life that's been defined by the truth. But if I, I go down there and think, oh, no, no, this is just all, you know, I'm just believing something that really doesn't make sense. And I just take a little step off. Doesn't take long. And then you're over here and you think, why is my life all stuffed up? Why am I a misery guts? Why, why am I living outside the order of God? Why? And, and then you want God to intervene, and God will intervene because he's merciful. But be careful. The truth is there to keep you aligned. It's to keep you. The benefit of the truth is it brings purpose. It brings delight. It brings joy to life. It brings peace to your life. It makes you fulfill God's plan for your life far outweighs anything that your feelings could ever lead you into, ever. And so Jesus defines foolish behavior. God's word is ignored. Does it really matter? I can really do what I want. But he said the wise, Jesus' word is acted on. We believe it. And there's principles that go from Genesis. I believe. You ready? I believe that marriage is for husband and wife, man and a woman. Now, I know the law of our society has changed, but I believe it's for man and wife. Why? Because from Genesis chapter 2, right to the book of Revelation, there's a theme that goes right through. Now, you can try and change it because there's a modern day thinking. That doesn't mean that I don't love people. Of course I love people. But marriage, God ordained marriage between a man and a woman. It's God's truth. So I don't get into an environment, or do I, or don't I? No, I will love people who are struggling with their gender. But I know the way God has ordained, or what God's ordained marriage to be, it's truth. It's a core value. I don't need to be thrown around in it. I know what I believe. Amen? And it's biblical. It starts, you read the Bible from Genesis right through, and you'll see where people err from that way. God is always trying to, in his mercy, gather them and bring them back. Why? Because it's going to, in simple terms, stuff up their life. And we're in a society which is on a slippery slope. You move one thing, you move one boundary, then what happens to family? What happens to children? What happens now? What happens? We're going to change this law now because we changed this law. And we're in this vicious circle. Truth. That's why the truth of God's word. I have a little saying. In a way, God is my tailor. Tailor. I mean tailor. He makes a garment for my life. In one way, he does. But he never comes down. He's not coming down to Ed here and say, Ed, yeah, I think you're about this. You know, I'll make, make something, Ed, that you really do feel comfortable in. And he thinks, wow, good. No, no, God's already designed his garment. And he's saying, come on, Ed, grow up into it. <laughs> come on, fit the garment I've made for you. 
Come on, don't, 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 don't just settle for a garment that you want to fit into your, your world. No, no, you grow up into my world. You get a garment that, that, that you fit into the garment that I've made for you. And when you grow up into that garment, that's where your life begins to get direction. And God has action. So here's just some things that, in a way, the Word of God has helped me in. Number one, place Jesus first. Come on, place Jesus first. Let him be first of your life. Don't let him, don't, don't just have a belief that's manifest on Sunday. Let Jesus be first of all your decision making, everything you do. Let Jesus be first. And one of the statements, again, it's, I can say uh, with authority, the church Jesus sees, he just gave this uh, description to someone who questioned him. He said, teacher, which is the greatest <coughs> commandment in the law? Matthew chapter 22, 36 to 40. Jesus said to him, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, we, we need the Bible. The Bible. The Bible has got so much proof, historically, scientifically, archaeologically. If you go into the Old Testament, you find that, 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 that all it, that there's evidence. There's profound evidence. And without going into it, you get the, what is known as the Dead Sea Scrolls going to Israel. They show you where the Dead Sea, Dead sea Scrolls were found. And so that gave evidence to the Old Testament. The writings of the New Testament have been proven to be valid and true. So God's word is true. But what, what Jesus is really saying, just without taking that away, if you only had a verse to live your life on, Here's a good verse. If you didn't understand anything else and you were to live your life, this is perhaps Abraham, you don't have the Old Testament and the New Testament. You don't have guideposts. You don't have anything to mark your life with. Here's a, here's a, good, here's a good verse for you. Just love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Come on, put him first. Then it goes on and says, love others as you love yourself. And you might want to put this down, but this is how I look after my life. I want to love God wholeheartedly. I don't have a departmentalized God. I don't have a departmentalized God. I want to, my whole heart. Doesn't mean I, I'm not perfect, but I want to. That's my, that's my core value. I want Jesus to be first in my life. My decision making, my marriage, my grandchildren, my children, what I do. He's first. I want to know what he thinks about that. Wholeheartedly, I'm wholehearted. I'm not a half-hearted person. I'm all in. Amen? You can't just live with a belief and then ask God to come into your environment. And that's what a lot of us do. We've got a nice belief. Oh, yeah, I believe in God, but God, don't you mess up my world. Don't you tell me what to do, God. No, no, we need wholehearted commitment. God, please. And so I love God wholeheartedly. Because I love God wholeheartedly, one of the things I can tell people is I've learned to love myself confidently. Yeah. <laughs> Amen? That's why you could build your life on this. I've got a confident understanding of who I am, the older I've got in Christ. I don't need to compete. I know, I feel content, I'm settled. 
I'm 94% British. <laughs> I did a DNA test. Very boring. Helen's got the colourful side. Mine's very boring, but I'm 94% British. Amen. <laughs> Just a little bit of boring information. But I'm confident. I'm happy. I don't have to try and compete. I don't want to be someone I'm not. I'm just happy with me. Anyone else happy with you? Yeah. <laughs> me? Say, so I'm happy with me. Come on, love yourself confidently. And then love others unconditionally. So love doesn't have a condition. If you, then I love you. No, love. Jesus loved unconditionally, even though he understood truth. I want to say it again. He loved unconditionally, even though he understood truth. He didn't say, I'll only love you when you align with my truth. That's why as Christians, we've got to love Auckland. The church Jesus sees is a church that can love on Auckland. It's not going in and, and, and preaching and pounding with truth. That's why I'm very careful to make statements about things. Because we were here, we're here to love. But it doesn't take away from us truth. It doesn't take away from us truth. You don't love at the expense of truth. That's silly. You love because you have truth. You love because you have truth. And the Bible just says of Jesus, again, Jesus, the church, Jesus says, he says, I want you to worship me in spirit and in truth. He didn't say, just get in the clouds, boys. No, no, he said, come on, there's truth. There's truth. There's truth. And what we're going to be so careful of in church is that we don't make worship an experience for 10 minutes on a Sunday. It's an expression. But I enjoy worship on a Sunday because I'm a worshiper. Jesus is first. You can enjoy the environment, but not align your heart. But letting Jesus be first. And he said, no, no, get me first. And then the expression on Sunday is an overflow of who you know God to be. Worship is not an experience. Worship is a decision. You place Jesus first. Amen? And I believe we need to align ourselves and place God first. So love God wholeheartedly. Love yourself confidently. Love others unconditionally. And I can only love people unconditionally because I've learned to love myself confidently. You cannot love someone else when you're personally in a mess. You can't do it. You might try, but you'll always have an agenda. But I can love myself confidently because I've learned to put God first and I love him wholeheartedly. So just place Jesus first. The second thing is learn to meditate on God's word. God's word, the truth of God's word is profound. It's the, the ability to make your life sure. It deals with the core values of your life. And I know I'm boring because I'm repeating some things that I say often, but I'm a journal writer. I write, I meditate on God's word. I read God's word every day. Why? Because I'm a preacher? No. I read it because I know that's the rock of my life. That's the truth. It helps me to align my life with the areas that I could feel vulnerable in because my feelings are not always accurate. 
How many want prosperity? Yeah. Put your hand up if you want prosperity. Prosperity is not just having money. Prosperity is well-being. It's a well-being. It's a wholeness. The what, will, what will be the greatest attraction to this city is a church that's whole. A church that's got a healthy soul. A church that's prosperous in its well-being. Not perfect, but we've got a prosperity in our well-being. We've got something inside us. That's able to navigate difficulty. The Bible says we won't, we, difficulty won't be removed, but it helps us to navigate it. It helps us, a healthy soul. And that's where the scripture, it just says, blessed is the man or the woman who walks in the, does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Be careful who's talking into your life. Be careful. There's a lot of ungodly wisdom out there. Nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. What scornful people? I just, I just basically have a statement. No, no, I'm not hanging there. I'll walk away from a crowd. I'm not going to let their scorn, their, their counsel, their, their bitterness get into my spirit. I just walk away. Why? Because I want to protect my heart. And then it goes on, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and the law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree. That brings forth fruit in its seasons. Notice season. Whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does, he shall prosper. God will prosper. God will bring prosperity, but it's got to be based in something. It's not just hearing a, a good sermon, blab it and grab it and have it. No, no, get, get, get health in your soul. Get well-being. The third one is God changes us from glory to glory. I was in a church, I was actually in our church in the States, and they were singing a Bethel song. Bethel song, and I, I, I liked it, but for some reason God, God dealt with me while we were singing it. Show me your glory, show me your glory. I forgot how it goes, and I'm definitely not going to sing it, but show me your glory, that's it. <laughs> and I sat, sat there, and I thought, glory? What's God's glory? I don't know, I just asked the question. Where is God's glory? Is God's glory something mystical that we're waiting to reveal? Wow, God's glory showed up today. It's not scriptural. In the sense, it's not mystical. I'll come down. What is God's glory? Arise and shine for the glory of the Lord is what? Where's it risen? Upon you. So I went up to the stage and I got everyone to stand up. I said, I want you to look at the person next to you. God's just revealed his glory. The glory of God is not a mystical cloud that comes down. The glory of God is you and me. We carry the glory of God. And that's where in, in the book of 2 Corinthians, and you can go through, I could do it, Bible says, thanks. I know you want to stand up here and reveal the glory of God, but we're just, <laughs> it's my moment. <laughs> it's my moment. <laughs> Haven't they got an inch yet on there? Look at those there. So we're very cool. What do you reckon? What do you reckon? Take a photo, man. <laughs> but, but often we, we're looking, you know, if you don't want to deal with your life, you'll look for something mystical. I'm going to say it again. If you don't want to deal with your life, you look for something mystical. But you and I are the glory. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says we've been changed from 
glory to glory. So what is the glory of God? The glory of God is when you let the Word of God change who you are. It's when you let the Word of God change who you are. You represent the, the, the redemptive power of Christ in your life is preparing you to reveal the glory of God. The glory of God and overcoming anger for me. The glory of God is when I am able to control things that were weak in my life. That's the glory of God. The glory of God is seen. It's got to be seen. The glory of God is how Helen and I do marriage. We, we, we have a, a, a pen, our home's like a pen of hell. That's not God's glory. Sometimes people want the mystical because they won't deal with the real. But people who understand the word of God, let God deal with the real. So it doesn't matter where they are, they carry the glory. And they're like a, they're, they're like a, a light on a hill. They're not, they're not scared to be standing out because they know they're not perfect. But somehow they carry the glory of God. They carry it. It's the truth. They've got core values. They're able to process things well. I don't have a lot of time. But live holy, number four. Live holy. Holy is amazing when you understand that it deals with the things that really destroy who God is in your life. God wants you to be holy. I know there are different words, but if you live holy, you'll be whole. Whole. Holistic. Amen? Holiness is about living whole. Your life coming together, the broken areas of your life. And it's a journey. It never happens overnight. But you learn to look in the eyes of Jesus and let his face help to change your humanity and who you are. And finally, which I won't speak on too much, is just live for the cause of Christ. doesn't matter what you do. doesn't matter what you do. doesn't matter what you're about in life. Just live for the cause of Christ. Live for the cause. Doesn't matter whether you're a teacher. Come on, live for the cause of Christ. Doesn't matter whether you've just got married. Come on, base your marriage on the cause of Christ. Helen and I often come back and say, you know, what, what some of the values that hold us? We we've built our life together. We still are. It's about the cause of Christ. That's why she's doing the children, and I'm traveling the world. Why? Because for us, that's the cause of Christ. Right? And we've got to govern it. We've got to work it out. So what does that look like? Some people might say, ah, I couldn't do that. No, no, it's the cause of Christ. We'll do it because it's the cause of Christ. We'll make, we'll make sacrifices because this is what God's called. The season will change. But when we understand the Word of God, that we're not building for something, something that's premature, not premature, it's not temporary. We're building for something that's eternal. That's why I will work as long as I can. I might slide down here and there and I might go fishing when I want to. Well, I do anyhow. But I might change some things. But I wonder, I, I, I don't want to wait for God to take me to heaven. I want to be working so I go to heaven. Amen? The cause of Jesus. It's part of who I am. I don't want to lose it when I get older. I want to keep focused. 
so that I know what my vision is. Amen. And for you, Grom, I just feel God's going to bring you into a new season. It's not a new season of work. It's a new season. It's a new season in your heart. It's a new season in your life. That's not to say that you're not where God wants you. I think you are, but He's bringing you into it. It's like there's going to come a change. There's going to come a change in your spirit. There's going to come a change in your understanding of the Word of God. There's going to come a change. It's like a new season. He's placing your hand on Him. And at times you'll feel a disconnect, but can I just say it's going to be a godly disconnect? Discontent. It's as though God's stirring something in your heart. And, and, and as He stirs it, He will draw you. And that's what I love about God. He's got the ability to draw us into a place that we could never come in our own ability. Even in our own decision making, you let God draw you and you will, I believe, in 12 months come up to me and say, wow, something in this last 12 months has shifted in my spirit because you've said in your heart, I'm gonna embrace that season. I'm gonna let God do something with me and God will prepare you and I believe it's going to have an incredible flow-on effect into your children and into children. It's going to mark people because God's given you a heart to reach another generation. He's given you the ability to go down to another level and to lift people up. And you're going to be someone, even as you get older, who will be able to have all these people around you because he's putting something unique in your spirit that's able to lift them. I know you lost your father, but God is going to be your father. God is going to be a father to you so that you can be a father to a generation that he's bringing through. And right now I speak it into your spirit and I declare right now the authority of the word of God over your life that you would rise to be a champion of a generation that's yet even to be born. In Jesus' name. I love the church. I love the church. Do you know why I love the church? Because I love Jesus. And I can't love Jesus without loving the body that he's redeemed. I love the church. Have I seen its, seen its cracks? Man, have I. <laughs> have I caused a couple? Probably. <laughs> still love it. I love that I can come into this place from time to time, even though I travel on your behalf around the world. But this is my home. Here I've got history. Here I've got people I know, people that I saw on the stage have been dedicated today and 20 years of Jesus tarries will be leading in this church because that's what I've seen. I love the church. I love the fact that God's kept me in a church even through its difficulties. I love it. The church of Jesus Christ. The church he says will be a church that's contemporary in its expression but will build build on the church. That will cause you and I to have our feet solidly planted on a rock that will not be pulled around by every wind of change in the name of Jesus. Can you stand with me this morning? I want you to lift your hands.
Some of you just need to come back and say, let the truth of God's word be the plumb line of my life. Let the truth of God's word align my heart. Let the truth of God's word be the inspiration. Let the truth of God be the meditation of my heart. Let the truth of God be the area of my deliverance, my freedom. The truth, those who know the truth shall be freed. The truth shall set them free. It's not your good ideas that set you free. It's the truth of God's Word that you no longer need to battle with things that God's not called you to battle with, but the truth of God's Word is able to define you in Jesus' name. And I know it sounds very rich, but in Revelation, when they looked onto the face of Jesus, the only response they could have was to bow down and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But do you know, you and I have the opportunity to look on the face of Jesus now, even though we can't see Him physically, but we can behold Him, we can behold Him. And when you do, you cannot ever be content to stay as you are, but God's gonna transform something in your life in the name of Jesus and today right now Father in your name in the name of Jesus your son I speak over this environment I declare for many people like Grom there will rise a new season there will rise a new dimension there will rise a new hunger there will rise a new desire there will rise a, a new place where people have been lax where people have been compliant where people have almost pulled back God, today you will draw them by your Spirit and they'll come forward and they will say, I'm not going to live like this anymore. Jesus, you're my first. You're my Lord. You're my conqueror. You're my friend. You're the one I love. You're the one I delight in. Right now I prophetically declare it. I'm a Quimish church in Auckland. Hallelujah. We're going to be known because we're contemporary, but we're going to be known because of the truth of God's Word. In Jesus' name.